Okay, now we're doing this. You ready? Calm down. Hello, Louis Theroux here. Welcome to the latest episode of my Spotify podcast, The Louis Theroux Podcast. Featuring Tracy Ullman, actress, singer, comedian, writer, producer, director, comedy, ledge, and someone who I grew up with. You know, it's always slightly different when I'm talking to someone who was a star when I was in my early teens to mid-teens and, and the feeling of like the doubling effect on me. Like I'm in here in the, in the room as a 53-year-old man, but also as a child thinking like, how weird, like the after all these years, this person I, I saw as someone untouchable, someone incredible, someone on my, on my TV screen that now I'm just jawboning with in the flesh. And it feels, I guess, quite special because of that. She was the first British woman to be offered her own sketch show in both the US and the UK. And her the programs she's put out over the years, um, well, speak for themselves, although Sadly, they're quite hard to find. She owns most of them and has chosen, or or for whatever reason, many of them, especially the American ones, you can't easily get to or buy. But a lot of the old British ones are on on YouTube. A Kick Up the 80s, Three of a Kind, which she made with Lenny Henry and David Copperfield, not the magician or the Dickens character. Basically, anyone in 80s comedy she would have worked with And as we go, I try and contextualize, for those who are too young to know who some of those people were, all of that would kind of be enough, I suppose, like that kind of foundational status in the UK comedy scene. But then she moved to America with her TV producer husband, Alan McEwan, who uh, had produced Alvida Zane Pet and Shine on Harvey Moon and many other um, great comedies, sitcoms. And she created The Tracy Ullman Show under the aegis of the legendary James L. Brooks. He was the showrunner. And that was on Fox and had an immensely successful and much garlanded four-year run. Many, many Emmys were won. It also featured the first appearance of The Simpsons, an animated cartoon series, which you may not have heard of. (sighs) Irony. We talk about her slightly complicated relationship with that show in the conversation. She's also starred in many films over her career, including Woody Allen's Small Time Crooks, for which she received a Golden Globe. Okay, uh, just parenthetically, we and we do touch on very gingerly on the Woody Allen subject. Um, and Bullets Over Broadway, and a musical that became a non-musical by James L. Brooks called I'll Do Anything. We talk about that and other films, but she says herself her main love is TV. After a 30-year absence from British television, Tracy returned with Tracy Ullman's show on the BBC in which she impersonated figures like Angela Merkel, Dame Judi Dench, and Jermaine Greer. Which is where we start the chat. We recorded this conversation in person in a mystery location under Tracy Island. (laughs) That was a real boomer joke. That was a reference to Thunderbirds, Millie. Tracy arrived with her son, Johnny, in tow, who seems to be a fan of the podcast. So thank you, Johnny, for putting in a word. 
Warnings, some strong language, and some conversation about Jimmy Savile. All of that and much, much more coming up. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Here she is. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. How do you do? Shall we shake hands? What do we yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you're a good bloke, you are. Oh, well, that's to be seen, isn't it? We'll see how you feel at the end. <laughs> I think you're sitting there. Yeah, yeah, if that's all right. I'm glad I'm meeting you face to face. I'd hate these. The remote Zoom thing. You don't like that. We've done a few of those. You can do it. We did Jermaine Greer. I'm plugging my own podcast because that's in the same run. But she was in um, fairly remote Australia. And by the way, I know that you did her mm. brilliantly. Well, she's one of the first sort of people who got cancelled in a way. Mm. It was interesting to me at that time and just for being old, you know. Yeah. Although that isn't why she got cancelled. She got cancelled. For... Well, she's, that's what, I love what she said. I got cancelled being old. You know? Yeah. She used that as a thing that. She got, loads of things. Yeah, mainly what was perceived properly, yeah. correctly, is transphobic remarks. Mm -hmm. But on the subject of Jermaine, mm. did you hear from her about your impression? No. <laughs> I rarely hear from anybody about things. I um, think you heard from Judy. You did an amazing Oh, Dent, Judy, Judy Dent, Dent, yeah, yeah. She, uh, as, a, as a sort of national treasure who exploits her treasure status to sort of shoplift and mm. do antisocial behaviour. Yeah. She thought it would be funny. And she said, she went into Marks and Spencer, and the man said to her, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Watching you. Yeah. And then I got to talk to Judy Dench and send her something rather nice and say, I'm just, you know, it's homage to you, and I'm living vicariously. And, you know, if you impersonate really famous people, which I figured out to try and do on some shows I did recently, you know, you get a lot more attention than if you just go out and create characters. And I'd never done impersonations. I thought, I might try this. And then I did Angela Merkel and Jermaine Greer and, you know, Camilla Jeremy Parker Corbyn, Corbyn, Camilla Parker-Bowles. You know, Corbyn was quite... It was, the I, look was amazing. Was, the look was amazing. And um, it seemed somewhat affectionate, the Corbyn. It wasn't like as vicious no, as it could have been. No, but that was the... Character I've got the most complaints for. My God. In what way? Oh, just that, you know, I must have written this with David Baddiel and stuff. Oh, really? And, yeah, it was a whole lot of stuff. Very strange. But and also, he was great. He mentioned me in the House of Commons that day. Hello, it's not Tracy Orman. But I, it was just a great look. I like playing guys. I like being a guy for a day. The premise was he's great on his... feeling. Whatever setting he's in... He starts speaking, and then within seconds, he's got a microphone or a bullhorn, and it's become a kind of a, a speech and a rally, and then everyone starts chanting, ooh, Jeremy Corbyn. Gosh, it seems so long ago now, you know. I've, but it's uh, funny what you said about, because re what resonated with me was you saying um, you found that, you know, having worked in comedy all those years, but then doing impressions for the first time as opposed to characters 
that you'd written mm. or playing other roles, suddenly you get more attention or that yeah. people switch on more. And, and yeah, which is good. If you're, you know, advertising a show, you've got a great picture of you as Judy Dench. Yeah. And walking around Judy, De- uh, J- Judy Dench in Richmond that day, filming it, you know, people really thought I was Judy Dench, you know, and I love pretending I am and going into shops and going, yes, we're doing a new Bond, actually. And people don't spot the rubber on your face. and You think, yeah. can't you see the seam? Yeah. And they don't. They want to believe it. Um, but I don't do surface impersonations. I, I try and imbue them with something that I imagine they are. Like Angela Merkel, I imagine she doesn't like being the only woman in the room and the guys hit on her. She thinks that she's six bomb, six bomb. You know, you have to get a, a hook for what they're about. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just doing these sort of, you know, very surface caricatures. And So I try and imagine their inner life. I imagine them off camera. Was there a reason why you'd resisted doing that earlier on? Yeah, because it's not what I do. I just, I always thought, came at it, Louis, as an actress in what I do. Um, My heroes growing up were Dandy Nichols and Patricia Hayes and Peggy Ashcroft and Joan Plowright and Maggie Smith. I wanted to be a character actress. Or I used to watch Ken Loach, Kathy Come Home, and all those sort of documentary like, you know, wonderful dramas. And I used to sit in my bedroom at six years old and just pretend I was in a documentary, you know. Yeah. Don't take it, my kids. Get away from my kids. And smoking and just stop crying. All this little snot came out of my nose and my mum would shout out, oh, shut up, go to bed, stop being in a documentary. Kathy Comes Home, that was. That's Kathy Come Home. You're not taking my kids. And I thought, it was wonderful. I couldn't believe it was acting. But I love that, naturalistic stuff. I love that up series they do that Michael Apted started, yeah. started at 7, 14, 12. I mean, it's, that's the most brilliant stuff. It's the same age as my sister, those people. So I know it'll, it'll be 67 up in a minute. Or it's a bit, I love that. You know, you, well, no one could ever act that beautifully or be that poignant or that emotional. And I've loved that series throughout the years. It's a brilliant series. Mm, Michael Palin and I did a spoof of that I saw years that. ago. Yeah, on it's called Tracy Ullman, a That's class act. A class act, yeah. We did a whole thing about the English class system, and um, that was so much fun. And the Seven Up series, which Michael Apted ended up kind of shepherding, he started yeah. as a producer on it, or an yes, AP he did or something, just a yeah. producer. But for the younger audience who may not even know about it, it's, it's a landmark documentary mm. series that started as a brilliant idea exploring how people's lives play out based on the famous Jesuit dictum, give me a boy at the seven and I'll show you the man. show you the man. And it's, it was the working class kids, you know, the little kids saying, I just want to have a baby yeah. and get married and have a baby. Oh. And then the middle class kids, they're the ones that actually went somewhere or did something different. Because yeah. the little posh boys were talking about reading the Titans, I'm going to do St. Paul's, I'm going to do Westminster, and then, you know, you know they, they all ended up doing that. It was the ones in the middle that maybe did something different. And yeah. the class system in this country, I think it's still, it's, you know, it's still here. And it's fascinated me throughout my life, really. And I just was wondering why you had to be sectioned off and put in these categories. And that's why I started impersonating people or doing voices, because I could see that everybody, as soon as they answered the phone or opened their mouth, people knew where they were from, what they could aspire to, how much money they had, where they were going to be educated. And I just could hear it. And I just thought, wow, I don't want to be part of that. I want to try and... But then again, when I wanted to be an actress, Louis, you really had to do the voice, be something like RSC. Mm. Oh, privy, my lord. And I thought, well, I can't do that because I'm not that. I'm a funny little bird. 
I, I mean, I've, believe it or not, I've done some research. Oh, hello. And that comes up a lot in reading about you and your story and things you've said is this sort of sense of um, the unfairness of the British class system. Well, it but just exists. It exists yeah. and that it's sort of, you know, the very apex of it. We have the royal family. For audience at home, I think Tracy might have done an eye roll. You're not shocked. my cup of tea, not my thing. <laughs> have you ever been offered a knighthood or a CBE or an OBE? You must have done by now. You but, turned it thank down, you didn't for you? That. Believe it. I want to ask you that. Um, I'm I interested haven't. in you. I'm here today because oh. my kids have told me to come in because they're Jesus. they're interested in You're you. You're under duress. They me. told you. They frog They do. You they in like here. you. But see, I grew up watching you, and and you you were born late 1959. And we, Last day of the 50s, I was. Yeah, December yeah. 30th, was it? Or Correct. So when you were coming to fame, that first flush of fame you had, and in particular, I'm thinking of Three of a Kind, the series you did with Lenny Henry and mm. David Copperfield in the early 80s, I would have been 11, 12, 13. It was right in the sweet spot of what I was looking at on TV, and it tickled me. Like, I liked comedy, and it was funny, and I looked yeah. back at it on YouTube recently in preparation for this, and it's still quite funny, actually. You know, it was one of those shows, really, it was a Saturday night. The whole family watched it, kind of BBC show in the early 80s, and it was great. We got huge ratings, and, you know, it was, was the last mainstream thing I ever did. It was wonderful fun. They found me in a doing an improvised play at the Royal Court, being an actress, you know, going to the Royal not doing the voice, Louis. So I did sort of like an improvised play at the Royal Court, which is great, which is a great place to be at that time. And they came and met me, and... Lenny and Paul Jackson, and they just said, "Do you want to be in a comedy show?" I said, was "No." Paul Jackson involved as well. Oh yeah, Paul was very. He was a good producer in the early ages. He really found you know the young ones. And, yeah, legendary comedy producer. Yeah, and he just let us go. He knew he was onto something new, and fresh and young. And I didn't want to be a Benny Hill girl. That was what all I thought I was going to be able to do in comedy. There was no real... I mean, there was Pamela Stevenson was out there doing Not the Nine O'Clock News, who was wonderful. But it was all about the guys. Go on. So what are you going to do? You know, I'm me coming out of theatre, you know, semi-crappy dancer to get my equity card, you know. I'm I'm not blonde, I haven't got big boobs. I was like, I'm not going to do that stuff. So I said to Lenny and Paul that night in the pub, I'm not going to do that stuff, I can't do that stuff. They said, no, Lenny was like, you're a good actress, you know, we can do characters. And and so we did. And I remember saying to all the writers at the BBC Lime Grove, I don't want to do jokes about traffic wardens or I don't want to be in a bikini and and I want to do characters and I want to do real stuff. And I like Kathy Come Home and Ken Loach and Daddy Nichols and, you know, I was telling him all this stuff. And, and about two people sent me stuff from a you know, big room of 400 people. And they became great writers and with us and really let us do what we wanted to do. But uh, there you go. A while ago, there was the 80s yeah, for yeah, you, yeah. you know. That was the 80s. So I was one of the... Then you got Dawn and Jennifer came along. Dawn uh, French and Jennifer Swan. Yeah, who were just amazing. And just like, I remember seeing them in the theatre in Soho and thinking, oh, this is the future, the comic strip, you know, and they just were brilliant. And and then, you know, women were just have more to say and more to do in comedy and we weren't just in situation comedy saying, oh, darling, the vicar's here and I'm so terribly worried. You know, all this sort of stuff. And then I went to America and then I really kind of really didn't see anything or do anything here for like 30 years. Um, I'm going to zoom out for a second right? because I feel like you're, you're such a natural entertainer and you've had such a storied career and you've worked with many great auteur directors Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, Larry David, James L. Brooks, 
who, if you know, people out in Radioland don't know, is is across the board a kind of American comedy writing and directing legend. Yeah, he was great. Uh, involved in the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Taxi. Yeah, and. Here's where I'm landing with this long preamble, is that one of the most liked comments on, on a sketch that was also on YouTube mm. was under a sketch of, in which you played, wait for it, Rennie Zellweger playing J.K. Rowling. So an impression that had two layers, yeah. which is genius <laughs> already. But one of the comments was, Meryl Streep says that the odd thing about having a conversation with Tracy is that at some point you realize she's talking back at you. Her mimic signal is always on. Is that something you're aware of her having said? Did she? No, that's nice. She's my mate. I've met her years and years and years and years ago. You're Hollywood and, royalty um, of a sort, I think. Oh, my goodness. We're off like a herd of turtles. Or... Oh, peanut. That's how Meryl talks. I do. Yeah, my radar is on. It's what I can do. I did it as a kid, Louis. It's like you can play football. You can play the piano. You know, it's like everyone in my class, I could talk like them. I, I, and I just was people. I could just suddenly become people. It's how I would explain my day to my family and what I'd done by impersonating people. It's really stupid and sometimes be annoying to people, but it's what I do and what I hear. And um, of course, with the British class system, hearing all these different accents and regions and going away as a young girl to Liverpool, where I met, you know, and, or Blackpool, where I met Les Dawson, Newcastle, just because I wanted to learn the accents. And I love people. I find people really interesting. You do, for you God's do. goodness sake. And yeah. and then going to America and having this whole new canvas and all these new people to meet. And um, people are so kind and interesting. Do you, I'm going to put you on the spot now, having said that when you're having a conversation with Tracy, she's talking back at you, could you do me? Yeah, eventually, yeah. Would it take a little while? I thought I did. Yes. Well, I like when you just sort of like you're with like rappers in the hood in these dangerous areas and they've taken you in with them yeah. and you're there in your jeans and your your glasses from yeah. where'd you go? Lens crafters or spec savers? So, are you got a deal with them, have you? No, are you a, anyway, are you a <laughs> I should go to a place in Halston. I'm so, it's Jubilee Opticians. I'll give Is them a it? shout out. I said love give them a shout Jubilee out. Jubilee Opticians. And I love it when you're in the middle and you and someone will play you this like this really rough, raw, gritty rap song and you'll you'll just stop and you go that's really good you're uh you're happy with that are you you like that <laughs> and you're just such a nice decent english fella you well, play up the english thing in the I do a bit, yeah no. you know on that subject i'm going to twist it back onto you because i think like you i straddle two cultures specifically american and, and british and uh, i suppose a bit like you you had your big break in the UK, but then you had a second break when you went to America, relatively unknown, and they took a huge chance on you. And I, I, the first things I did on TV were in America, and I often think that I wouldn't have been on TV if I'd stayed in the UK. I wouldn't have thought I had much to offer. In America, mm. I sort of, what I had to offer was I was so different to the worlds that I found myself in, and I mm. could play up to that a bit. Mm, me too. And I could go into a, meet the Ku Klux Klan, and mm. you know, I had no gifts for for mimicry or, or improvisation or comedy in particular, but just by being myself and slightly playing it up a tiny bit, then there was a kind of chemistry yeah. that went with it. They like Brits. Yes, they, they like do. They like the British bit I play up sometimes in America. They, you know, they just love it. But I went a different way. When I married Alan, I moved to America and... Um, with him and you really wanted me to stay there and try and do pilots and that's where TV was at that time, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you had to live in LA and there were the three networks. And I got pregnant rather quickly and 
really was going to do nothing. Once you for a got while. there, or basically, yeah, yeah. And I, I met James Brooks, who you mentioned, James L. Brooks, James L. Brooks, who, who was just on, who know. directed one. He's one about thirty, I, I, like absolute ton of. He did Emmys, Mary Tyler Moore's show, and he Rhoda. Wrote, he just won the Oscars for Terms, Terms of, of Endearment. He did Taxi. He, he described you as a genius. By he the was way. so good to me. He likes women. And he met me and when I was pregnant. He just said, look, we're going to do a show. He said, you're going to have your baby. And he said, and while you're pregnant, he said, you're going to learn about America. He said, because, you know, you've got something great. We want to work with you. He said, but you've got to know about America. And he said, I want you to go to the Museum of Television and Broadcasting in New York and go in and watch everything. Watch news programs. Watch the, you know, your show of shows from the 50s. The show where show Mel shows. Brooks started yeah. and Woody Allen started. I've never watched He said, that. and get a great, it's amazing. Is it funny? It's good. Because, you know, you've got these... Carl Reiner writing on it, Mel Brooks, you know, yeah. Woody Allen. And they they came from a generation of very educated, kind of smart mm-hmm. New York guys who were very worldly. Mm-hmm. They'd been in the Second World War. They'd traveled around. And they really came at things from really interesting viewpoints. So he made me go and do my homework in a way. So I didn't just arrive in America and think, oh, I can just, I just like make fun of you guys or something. So I have a great respect for him and making me do that and so by the time two years later I came to do a TV show you know I knew something about America I'd lived there for two years I'd watched all these shows I'd you know I had a baby there I was you know I was a homeowner there so it was I really felt part of it all and then I impersonated so many people and a lot of people didn't really know I was an English girl sometimes and I loved that I like this total immersion and then it was hard to talk to people like you can just look anyone up on let's mention YouTube again nowadays but back then I'd be like oh wow I really want to sound like a girl from Brooklyn so I'd ring a car dealership in Brooklyn or just try and talk to somebody or ring a library and and that's how I would just talk to people and get accents because I I have to listen to the real people Mm. but it was very exciting to take on this whole new country and then find I'd find people in Ohio. I thought, yeah, you're just like girls from Manchester in England and that same sort of... There was a class system in America, but it was more based on money right. as opposed to, you know, your ancestry. But what had been behind you... Because you were famous in Britain, and in fact, not just through Three of a Kind and Kick Up the 80s and Girls on Top and other shows. You had a, had a pop career. You'd had a number of top 10 hits. And they were just fun, and I just camped it up. You know, put on a per- Lurex miniskirt and did my old Made dance it look, routine. It's been annoying to all those musicians who've been struggling for <laughs> hits for years, and then you waltz in a comedian or comic actress and have a ton of hits and success. But the point being, you had a huge profile in the UK. So what? I wanted to be with that record label, Stiff, yeah. because they had a T-shirt that said, "If it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck." I thought, God, I want one of those T-shirts, and I still wear it Very now. But I'm feeling rebellious, you know. Yeah. Just go to that, you know, Tesco Express, wearing that. Louis, do you still have piss it? Piss off the staff. Yeah, it still does. Do, do you have a little bit I of do. a punk rock energy? I do. I'm still 14 in my head. I'm right. still a rebel. I'm Did still you a... see yourself as part of the alternative scene in the early 80s when comedy felt like it was just throwing a stick of dynamite in everything? What the comic strip? And yeah, stuff. all of that. No, no, I wasn't really part of that. But no. you were friends with I'm... all those people. I, yeah, you yeah, were on the same show that Rick Mayo. Rick Mayo, legendary. Love Rick Mayo. Nearly departed comic performer and Robbie Coltrane. His first and, yeah. thing was pick up the 80s. But I was always the sensible one. 
They were wild. But you were conscious Those, of wanting to change things and not be yeah. not be part of this sort of sexist, racist. I realized that there was more opportunity at that time for women to do comedy shows. I realized that, you know, Gilda Radner had been on Saturday Night Live. Carol Burnett had her own TV show in the in the fifties, in in sixties in, in America, and obviously Lucille Ball, who we all know. And I thought, wow, there's there were only shows with women in England. And so to go to America and then do a variety show was a huge thing, and it re- I really was the girl that no one had heard of on a network that but what didn't would, exist. What was behind the move? Why did you go over there? To get married to Alan McHugh. And, and he was living there? Yep. My husband loved living in America when I met him. I married him at 23, and I was 23. He was a bit older than me. And, uh, oh, God, big Al. Fantastic. Great. My life began when I met that bloke, Louis. Great, great guy. So Very I've heard ambitious. you say that before. That's a beautiful oh, thing. Beautiful That's quite guy. a big statement to say, isn't it? Yeah, but it's true. It's true. Um, he was confident and mm. great bloke, a good-looking bloke in handmade suits and funny. And he said, "We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to. You should come to America, and oh, we'll go in, and we'll, you know, we're just a self-made guy. Had a great personality and a lot of ideas and a lot of confidence, and he instilled me with all that." Um, well, my well, point is, is like you have a huge profile, huge success in the yeah. UK. Are you thinking like, I want to try, I need Not new particularly. Challenges? Alan decided I should go to America. Because he saw that you could make yeah, it there. Yeah, he saw that I could get a network deal over there and work for CBS and do pilots and make more money and go a bit further. And, and he was right. And I did. And it was great. It expanded everything. And I'd gone as far as I could in England, I think, in the 80s, after the song started to You'd peter out. So you went there. And, you know, so th- this theme about the class system and, you know, the relevant quote that I thought of when reading up on, on your story is from George Bernard Shaw, who in the preface to Pygmalion in 1912 wrote... Mm-hmm. It is impossible for an Englishman to open his mouth without making some other Englishman hate or despise him. There you go. <laughs> Whereas another philosopher called Tracy Ullman <laughs> said, I'm even more amazed by the British class system now that I live away from it. Yeah. It's just extraordinary. You open your mouth and people know exactly where you're from and what your aspirations are and how much money you have. Yeah, I just said that again, so you start repeating yourself in life. You do, and it would seem ridiculous, and the royal family just seems ridiculous to me. It always did. You know, It was like we pay them millions of pounds to be better than us, is what my husband used to say. Really? So I'm not into all that. What would you like to see happen to the royal family? I don't know. What do they want to do? They're not going to just go away, are they? I mean, they've got all these lovely houses and they... Do you feel bad for Meghan and Harry? No, not at all. Oh, They're living in Santa Barbara. That's a torture. All the money in the world doesn't insulate you from grief and existential angst and the no, pain of family no, separation. No, I feel sorry for them. A lot, a lot of it must be dreadful, but it's, I just don't get that side of things. You know, some people get it, some people don't, Louis. You know that. And I think a lot of people in this country feel that way. Yeah. I mean, the irony is that L.A. in its own way has an acute, I mean, unbelievably sort of stratified sense of social hierarchy, right? It's the classic place where if you're at the party and someone thinks that you're smaller than they are career-wise, prestige-wise, they talk to someone else. pecking order, totally, you get it. You know, we really see it and it's never got to me, never bothered me. I got to do what I wanted to do in Los Angeles and if you're working and... You're having a wonderful time. There's a great creative community there. You go there to instigate ideas. And if you get to do it, 
which we did for a number of years. And we were filming and working with great crews and writers. And it's a fabulous community, a working community. It's the people that aren't doing anything that bitch about the place. And if you don't like it, shut your jacuzzi lid and go home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a tough place. It's like, it's an industry town. It's like if you're in Detroit, you're going to talk about cars, you know. it's a, uh, But it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. And there's, there's great things about Los Angeles. I had a wonderful time there because I got to do what I wanted to do. You've also and called I, it a I lo- don't like all that, it's that bullshit, you know, the agents and the parties and the red carpety bollocks and you know you get involved in that if you have to but it's not what you that you really want to do you want to do the work you know we should talk about how you became successful there we've mentioned james l brooks Mm. um basically what was the process by which you ended up with your own show fairly quickly by the looks of it yeah there was a new network starting the fox network and rupert murdoch had bought fox and there were a number of new shows to be created and james l brooks had a big contract at Fox and he saw me I think in plenty with Meryl Streep and I probably saw my I was on MTV at that time with the records and was took a meeting with me and decided to do a show with me and so that was great and then I went off and had my baby and as I told you he told me to get an education in America come back and then I got some great writers he put together great people Julie Kavner who'd been in Rhoda and now she's you know Julie Kavner she is Marge Simpson about, you know, like four weeks into the show, Jim said, we need some animated segments. Why don't we do animation? We were very enthusiastic about this guy called Matt Groening who had these books called Life in Hell. And um, a number of people were. And he came in and he pitched a totally new idea to be little interstitial pieces within the Tracy Ullman show. And so the Simpsons got their start on my show. And it was fantastic. It was, and I remember them coming in and saying, we need people to record these voices. And Tracy, you're too busy doing something else. And Julie, would you be the voice of Marge Simpson? Okay, sure. And off they'd go and they'd record in this booth. And um, it became huge. It spun off and, as we know, is in its 36th season. It payrolled the Fox network because at that time a struggling network and then yeah. thereafter... A lot of their problems were solved by this sort of evergreen cultural product. Yeah, it's uh, and Matt Groening, the original. I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant man, and it's a, it's wonderful. It's fabulous to be associated with it. What? Uh, okay, so I don't want to make things super awkward, uh, but I'll, I'll we'll see how this goes. Like, so I think at times you've had maybe an ambivalent relationship with The Simpsons phenomenon i mean i know you jokingly said i breastfed those little devils Mm. but that there was maybe i mean i would understand like a feeling that um well was there a financial side of this where you felt you weren't getting there was a the payday that you were entitled to yeah and it was after it became super successful they went off and then suddenly did you not get money from i do i do like the simpsons right yes it was a spin-off yeah it was a spin-off what so what happened um and then contractual point was bought up by some lawyers I had at the time that maybe I should get some more and so it was but the Simpsons probably uh, as a phenomenon didn't make much money did it that was my ironic remark (laughs) When I what when I think when I was in Italy one year, like the second year in, and I saw like you know a bagno, pore bambini, you know like Simpsons bath foam, and I said to Alan, I think it's doing pretty well here. Um, no, it's it's made a heck of a lot of money. So, so you get a piece of that, a little piece of it, a small piece of that, is still quite 
a tidy little sum. It saves me from having to do pantomime or theatre, <laughs> Louis, or I do don't you, know. It's, a, it's a, you know, it's nice to Do have. you know that you're listed, I think on Wikipedia is one of the wealthiest something or others in the world. Oh, for goodness sake. Maybe, I, I don't know what don't it is. 75 so. million, they oh. say. That's probably a bit low. Terribly vulgar. That's ridiculous. Terribly vulgar. That's ridiculous. I'm worth far more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Please. So do little checks come in, or big checks, from The Simpsons? Bits and bobs. Little bits and bits. bobs, Louis. I keep going. It's nice, you know. You've been on The Simpsons. Have they animated you? I haven't been on The Simpsons. You have? No. You look like somebody that should have been. I, you know, you'd I be was... so easy to animate. I think that's an insult. <laughs> I don't know. Started off in comedy. You like? What what how did you feel when Adam Buxton and the other bloke did a comedy show? Inscrutable remark. Did you feel funny about them? About what? Them doing a comedy show, and did you feel a bit left behind? Is is this you turning the tables? Yeah, I tried. Look at me, Tracy Ullman turns the tables (laughs) on Louis Theroux. (laughs) So what I was going to say was, though, you know, going to America for me was quite a liberating thing, and and as a half American, Mm. I felt like there was a lack of judgment and a feeling that I felt. I felt there was a lifting of a sense of self-consciousness and that I could... Um, and the culture's so weird that there was stuff to get your teeth into. Yeah, it does make you lose your inhibitions a bit. Is that what you know? it but is? I, yeah, I love the optimism and then our little pessimism and sort of like self-depreciation and humour, being humble, goes a long way. Yeah. It's good mix. But there's also this thing where, um, in, in LA in particular, that self-deprecating attitude of... Oh, I'm working on something that's probably going to be shit. Yeah. Well, English, that's an English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, go, we had a run through and you know, no one laughed. And in America, <laughs> in LA, they find that quite confusing. Yes. They're like, they look worried. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe you'll, maybe you could do a rewrite. You're like, and suddenly you're like, no, no, I, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to just it. laugh. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just making myself small so that you don't feel threatened by you. And instead of which they feel like, oh no, it's almost like a contagion. I hope I don't catch your failure from you. Do you know what I mean? No, you can't. It's, yeah. And you think, what's the point of saying that? I know it's like when, you know, I had success then they go, this is great. It's mm. so great. You're so great. You know? And in England, they'd be like, how did you manage this? Mm. You know, I think envy is our biggest export sometimes here. And it's like, but then it keeps you, you know, humble and all that stuff. But I know I love the American enthusiasm. and, the, and But they're just as sarcastic as us, really. And it just takes them a while to be meaner about people yeah. than it does with us. Yeah. You know. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi. I'm Louis Theroux, and you're listening to the Louis Theroux Podcast. And now, back to my conversation with Tracy Ullman. So, uh, okay, we're going to wade into the culture wars now, so strap in. So some of the sketches, (laughs) looking back, are clearly sailing close to the wind in a way that certainly 
nowadays well, probably yeah. would be questioned. Um, and, you know, you've always been about characterization, observation, mm. almost in an Alan Bennett way. Does oh, that, does that resonate with you? Like that feeling of like you could be doing a, like a mini plays, characters with backstories and inner lives. Mm -hmm. As much as about the comedy, like all really great comedy, it's sort of also about the tragedy, right? Yes. Um, the poignancy that, and the sadness of people I like, yeah. And in there as well, how do I put this? Occasionally you take on what would be called, I suppose, transracial. I just I didn't make that up, but I've thrown <laughs> yeah. that word in there. Everybody. I wanted to be everybody. I was you like... played No Nang Ning, a donut store owner, Shanisha Turner, an airport security worker, and Chick or Chico. Is that right? Chick, Chick. Yeah, an indeterminate Middle Eastern East cab driver. I was got into a cab in New York once and this like Middle Eastern guy said to me, Hey, you like sex? Just straight up there, little you went, ah, oh, ah, woof, you know. And he pointed to his, uh, he said, this is my love cabinet. He's, you know, the compartment in the car. I thought, oh, God, I want to be that guy, you know. I So I could do anything, you know. I had this amazing makeup department. I'd dress up. I, I put all this hair or like all over my arms and my, I was like for chick. I was like, it was the itchiest, craziest character I've ever done and I would be at four in the morning in a gas station in downtown LA shooting this stuff and I thought I was somebody else you know I used to get, get high from becoming other people and enveloping myself in these makeups and stuff and it was fascinating it's what everyone was doing 30 years ago you know and you just it just I wanted to be everybody it was really interesting when you were playing Shanisha Turner say playing a black character yeah. at that time would that have felt you know nowadays no, you wouldn't do it now. You wouldn't do Did it feel like a dangerous or a big step? No, I just felt fun. And I was with other black actors. And I think I did it because Eddie Murphy had just been a white woman. And, you know, it was like it was so much going on. And you could just do it. And it was done with energy and interest and love and, you know, love of people. And and you wouldn't do it now. No. And it was, you know, this historical nuance. But it didn't it feel a like time. a live wire at that no, time. No, it didn't feel like a live wire at that time, no. I think the Asian character, Ning... Yeah, I mean, if I... If no I Nang and Ning. now you look back and you think, oh, if somebody saw that and was hurt or felt that you feel terrible But there was it. pushback at the time about that one, I think. Was there? There were some protests. Yeah. Which, I mean... Well, they probably were right. It was, not, it was <laughs> the wrong thing to do and I apologise. <laughs> and it was in the past now and I feel bad about it. And what can you do? It's like, do then it seemed fun and, you know people do things all the time and then in, yeah. you know now it's like we're living through this culture of everyone's just to be awash with shame for what they ever mm. did or thought and it, I think we're going through a big big questioning period and as we should yeah. but no, it's not something I would do today. These things are constantly being revisited and mm -hmm. rethought and tastes change and it's very easy to look back and poke holes and be whether it's wise after the event or, or to apply cultural standards that mm. perhaps... It's really hard. You, you perceive things now? differently in different eras. I mean, watching you do the two Jimmy Savills is fascinating yeah. because you saw him as somebody totally different. Yes. When you first did it, you were taken in by that now then, now then guy. Does Jimmy Savile come into the room suddenly? He does always. <laughs> and I remember showing him, clip of him to my writing friends in... In America, they went, God, that guy's weird. He's, Why did you show him? To I don't remember. No, I just of... remember showing them Jimmy Savile. before the big thing. And he went, 
They thought he was so strange when he was and that still England alive. would like somebody like that. And I went, what's wrong? That's Jimmy Savile. But, you know, you saw, you look how your perception of him changed. Did that your, shifted, Did your didn't son it? say to you, like, if he asks, if he gives yeah. you a hard time. You know what to do, Trace. If Tracy, you get if he brings stuck up, on the whole what he, you did 30 no years ning, ago, if, no no, if comes that up, comes up, come right back at him free? with Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Just look at him. He'll scratch his head and then come back at him with the Jimmy Savile because everybody's yeah. got their shit from their past that they're dealing with, Louis. That's, that's... It's like shit from your past. There's things that you thought were different back then that you just look at now and go, oh! Well, I know, always thought we all have this. weird. And the reason I made the first documentary was because I thought he was so weird, right? It wasn't because... No, I, thought, I know, but... Oh, you, he seems like a nice man. you were playing along with him and doing that. Oh, Jimmy's fun, you know. No, I like, wasn't. A little bit. No, I wasn't. But, have but, you seen... no, but I love the second... <laughs> you know, when you realize, I appreciate that. God. I appreciate. It. I deserve to have my feet no, held you to the fire. You're great with everyone. And, and 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 actually, you know, it's quite a hard-headed piece of work. But that's me reviewing my. I own. remember him when I was at Top of the Pops. I was there, Top of the Pops. Noel Edmonds, you, David Lee Travis. Did the, you say uh, you actually knew? I him? met him. No, I just remember those days. You know, be hanging out with you too, and and what did you make our of, ballet and Duran Duran? And what did you make of Jimmy Savile? Jimmy Savile, he was just, you know, that was a national treasure kind of thing back then, wasn't it? You know, he was I don't there. think he was ever quite a national no, treasure. No, but he was... But he was regarded as an institution yeah. and mm. someone who, oh, he does a lot for charity, but he's a bit weird and there's some yeah. stories, but... Steve Coogan is doing an amazing job in this series about him. Have you watched Steve it? Steve Coogan is a, is a genius. He's a brilliant actor and he's, he's just brilliant. Me and my son send each other Alan Partridge mims every day. You know, he's genius. Um, so, anyway. Did you say mims? What, what did you call them, mems? I don't know. I think you said mim. Did I say a, did I say a mim? I don't know. I'm a silly. What's old the bag. word? I don't know. I'm someone's grandmother What's the now, word? Louis. What is the I word? I get told off because I don't remember passwords for Netflix, well, for flipping Disney Plus, for the flipping shows. I got Elijah having a go at me. I've got you having a go at me about my past. Here, I've got my grandson <laughs> at home telling me. Do you know what he said to me the other day? He said, why don't you remember the password for the Disney thing? And I said, I'm trying to do it, Elijah. I'm trying. He went, oh, I don't think you've got the expertise. <laughs> You're someone he? four years old. You're like going, oh, give me a break. I love it when you they know, come I'm out with a, a, a two-dollar word, like unexpectedly. <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. You haven't got the expertise. Memes. I think Biggie. the word is memes. Memes, yeah, I don't say memes, memes. But Steve Coogan's brilliant. Who else do you like? Um, Dave Chappelle. He's telling the truth out there for me now. It's like I go see Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock at the O2, and it's like a, oh, it's just like, evangelical meeting for me. I'm just like, thank God someone's saying this. Do you? Yes, I do. I'm glad to hear you. The passion. I love him. He calls me a gilf, Dave. Uh, which is a... a... grandmother I'd like to fuck. He called me that once. And do you know what that means to someone like me when you've got your grandson <laughs> picking on you and you're coming in to see Louis Theroux talking about shit from the past? It helps. Of course it does. God, I'm really kicking off now, aren't I? I could be a gilf. Grandfather. <laughs> actually, I'm not actually a grandfather, but 53. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, think you're going to love this grandfather it's stuff. Figurative. It's really nice. You're not, you're nowhere near it. But Dave Chappelle. Love uh, Dave Chappelle. Love Chris Rock. Considered quite controversial but now. But he's I think. talking because he's trying to talk through stuff. It wasn't easy for Lenny Bruce in the 60s. Go Google that guy. You know, it's you're trying to say something different. You're trying to be honest out there. You're going to get criticism. You know, you're going to have to answer back for it. But he does an amazing job. And he really, really makes me laugh. So with, with Dave Chappelle, some of the trans stuff is what he's got in trouble for. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, you know, to comment, you've got to listen to the whole thing and his whole take on it. And he's talking about, you know, Dave Chappelle had one of the first trans 
stand-up comedians, comics, a guy very sadly who's now no longer with us, he took him out on tour with him. I mean, he has no... It's it's a very complex issue and people take offence and talk to, about it and they, it's an ongoing conversation. But he just wants to... He loves people and he wants to be funny and he wants to comment on things around him and um, he has a right to. What about Little Britain? You know, I think that was a brilliant show in its day. It we all a, did. We loved it. it and a, now poor Matt and David, who were bloody brilliant in it, they take the crap for it because it got taken off by the BBC. It makes them look bad. Everyone at the BBC was loving that show and all the writers loved it and everyone loved it and the public loved it. So, it, you know, historical nuance again. You wouldn't do it today. But, you know, it makes them look bad and they shouldn't at all. But they did a fantastic job. And mind you, they've both got good careers and they're on they go, on you go. But... uh that was something when they pulled the episode of the Germans from the Faulty Towers. That's when it got a bit absurd. I think that's when everyone went actually. I think they've gone a well, bit because far. the uh, the major, one of the characters whose whole character was that he was kind of a regressive Colonel Blimpish, uh, out of touch old geezer. Yeah, and he dropped the N bomb, I believe. And so that was why they took it down. So it was, yeah. I think the defense, but- which I think is reasonable, is what. That was that made was, in was 1974. It wasn't endorsing And where there were people like that around then, talking like that, you know. Little Britain and Come Fly With Me, do you know if they're back up? I don't think so. I don't, I don't, they tried to edit them and stuff. You could try and do that with the shows I did in the 90s. You could try and edit bits out that I suppose, you know, that what people are uncomfortable with. I wouldn't even want to try, you know. Are there shows like, of yours that couldn't be shown now because of changing tastes? I don't know. I own them all and I just don't, they're just not for sale anymore. That's, that era is done. I don't know. Don't you want your work out there? Uh, I, I don't really think of it like that. No, I'm not very nostalgic. I'm not. The best job I do will be my next one. I'm very forward thinking. I still have some things in me I really want to do. I want to be, you know, Judy Dench and Maggie Smith now that I want to be in that, that next era of character. I still want to be a character actress, Louis. I've done some fabulous, weird, brave, odd, controversial stuff. I've had a fabulous career, a fabulous marriage. I got to go places I never thought I'd ever go. And I've got two brilliant kids and I've got two brilliant grandsons. I, I don't look at the past and think, oh, I want that out there still. You can still see it on YouTube. There's the best bits are on YouTube. There's loads of bits. Um... I'm looking forward to doing some great stuff before I leave the planet in 25 years. Okay, well, steady on. Like, we haven't no, got I'm to trying to wrap it up. I'm trying to do a lovely wrap-up wrap no, that you can it. edit. And, no, no, we haven't got we're gonna cut you need that a breather. Bit. Don't cut. You, well, no. You, all right, fine. Because, because okay, that was a n- lovely wrap-up. We're not ending it. <laughs> oh, Christ. Stop it. Oh, bloody hell. Who's going to let me out of here? Um... Can I dial I back? I have a laugh. Can I dial back to the beginning? <laughs> I do. I'm living to laugh, Louis. Of course, and you love been, having a laugh. It's, I mean, like, what's life for? Especially like in the darkest times. And actually, I do think that um, the the risk that we run with you know sensitivity over comedy is that you know you can't process aspects of of the human experience of, of sort of cultural hot potatoes if you can't make comedy out of them. No, I and mean, it's it's a tough old world to be funny about right now it really is it's a uh, god it seems like just crazy to me when i'm seeing people coming out of fashion shows on red carpets right now or posing at cameras and you're like going, do you know there's a war on mm. this world is on fire it's just a terrible time mm. you know it's it's really rather scary and all these all you're hearing about is climate change and war and you know breakdowns of society and you're like it seems so trite to be, be here talking about what I did or something. You know, you just feel, wow, in the, it just pales into insignificance. It seems crazy right now. 
Well, I was struck, though, that you also got, in certain respects, a left-wing, anti-establishment, iconoclastic sensibility, but you also have a sort of refreshing, I don't know, kind of freewheeling. Like, you, you come at things from all sides. One of the funniest sketches I saw of yours relatively recent was about a woman going up for a job and she's got the job and then it turns out she's a Christian and then suddenly (laughs) it's like the job's been revoked because they're like, oh, she seems so weird just because she's a Christian. Yeah, that was a good sketch. And then in general, you've said, uh, there's a a really interesting extended interview with you that you did with a, a university called Emerson, I think, somewhere in America. And you were talking about the liberal Hollywood bubble you were talking about late-night comedians all making fun of Trump, that it's yeah, boring. It's like you so. said they need to get out into middle America and meet the Trump voters and understand them. Yeah. What well, you do. You go out into America and you really yeah, try this and isn't understand about, what's going on. Stop making about me. What well, it about, is you? about you. You're very important, Louis. Oh, thank you. But do you think there's too much safe, onside, liberal yeah, comedy? Yeah, everyone just sitting in those... And, you know, five years ago, it was just so white guy late night. I'm just so sick of it. I want some more girls in there. I think that era's kind of going now. I mean, because you couldn't beat Letterman. Letterman was the greatest. And then you got just these same talking heads talking about Trump every night and doing the same kind of rhythms and standing in front of the window and the even that naff guy that you interviewed, that alt-right guy, that he just laughs all the time and talks about, I don't want a lot of, you know, like you know, immigrants in my country yeah. because I love my country. That stupid guy with the teeth and he's in front of a window, you know, and it's exactly like Letterman from the 90s because he's yeah. picked up these yeah, TV yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. and he's using all these little things. And he's Nicholas an He's yeah, just a little Nicholas. lost guy. Yeah, yeah. What does he think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Think that women are going to go, we're really sorry that we ever decided to go to work. Of course we'll go back into the house and have babies again. You're right. (laughs) The kids are kidding themselves. But the way he's adopted those rhythms of a late-night talk show guy doing the things, just laughing about everything and pretending he's being ironic. You're referring to a documentary I made called Extreme and Online, part of a series. He's from Chicago, this guy. He's a a young... Sort of incel. Um, yeah, he'll hear us talking about this now, and he'll do. He'll just like do big, something on me, on his, maybe on his. But you know, but there was just a sadness and an anger, and an, and it's like, what do you think people are just going to change and say you were right? Yeah. How could we possibly? But have, I was teeing up to say something to say. about the about the liberal bubble. And, yeah, there is a liberal bubble. Yeah, of and, course there is. So what should they be doing? Just, I mean, is that why you like Dave Chappelle? Because it feels like yeah, he's actually just willing to aim his fire in any direction like yeah, he, he doesn't really he does, he does care he does care he's a good man i don't mean he doesn't care as in like he doesn't care about society i mean he's not gonna rein it in for the sake of those critics or those parts of the media establishment that take issue yeah with him. no he exactly yeah do you so hello ladies and gentlemen you're joining us for the louis Thor podcast <laughs> the older section for anybody over 50 you might enjoy this show somebody's on the show who talks about people like dandy nichols and so it's there the you early go. bird special mm, yeah um you know i always assumed um that you were jewish something people sometimes assume about mm-hmm. me it turns out you're not jewish you're half polish half british roma is that right i don't know i've don't never know. done my That's dna i don't know i'm a person Come on. I don't know. I, I, I'll do well, a you DNA you know that test. your dad was my, Well, my dad came over from Poland. He died when I was six. I really don't know anything about his family. Um, my mother was illegitimate on one side and she Swedish something. Ro- is the term Romani? Do, would you say I, gypsy? Well, she used to say we're gypsies, but I don't think we're Romani gypsies. I don't know. I'll do a DNA test. 
I don't know. I don't, can you imagine me going on that bloody who do you think Sounds you like are you show to. and then all the horrific, you know, crazy, alcoholic, nutter, mean people in my family start coming up. I couldn't bear it. I don't want to ever talk about myself or my personal life. I hate it. Do you? Yeah. I don't take any pleasure in talking about who I am or what I do. Really? No, not really. All right, let me have a go. <laughs> you, you're getting more out of me than, you know, but I knew this would happen. That's why no, I No, no, no. I think, by today. the way, you know, I don't, I'm not all about, like, let's get to the Do you know what I mean? If I, if I wrote jelly, a book about my I, take on Hollywood, Hollywood. Who gives a shit? I give a shit. I give a shit. You've got a lot to say. Yeah, but you know. So I see a what? lot of pain in you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad died. It sounded horrendous. He was reading you a bedtime story yeah. when you were six years old and had a heart attack. He was taken off to hospital. Your family told you that he'd gone on holiday. Yeah. Really covered the grief thing well with That's the kid. Extraordinary. No, he's not dead. He's gone on holiday. And I thought, oh, he must be somewhere sitting by a pool with a, you know, and the drinks with a little umbrella in it. But that's how they handled grief. And in gradually you think, like, when's he coming back? You're like, God, he's going on a long holiday. <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous. I, went, I know he's, he's dead. Nice I know. Time. Yeah, I was one of those very factual kids. I know he's dead. He died in front of me. Yes, it's uh yeah, I missed him all my life. Wow, wouldn't it have been great to have a dad? That's nice. Well, how you know? <laughs> um he he, I think made a decent living. Like, doing, yeah, is he a, is he a solicitor? Yeah, he was. He was a lawyer. He was a translator. He was. He came over during the war from Poland, and then he had a shop in Slough, and he, and he used to put me on the counter in his shop, and he used to make me sing a little Polish folk song, and in front of his customers. That's what I remember. Cool. And what I used was to it? stand on the Zuszale Gorale, and I used to sing it, and he used to say, "Tracy, she's going to be a star." That's all I remember about my dad. Wow. Well, damn it. And then he went on holiday for six weeks. No. So you have very Still small memories. You know, I remember his voice. I remember the things about him, yeah. Uh, but that makes you tough as a girl. You lose a parent and you... On you go, you know, it's not easy. And is it, am I right that the, the part of this was also dealing with the financial upshot of his dying which meant yeah reduced... he was he would he was you know made money and we went to private schools and things i remember and then i remember we just being you know taken out of school and put somewhere else and having to be the new kid in a little state school and just be you know and then my weapon against it all became being in the school shows you know suddenly i was in the school show and i could be the star of the school show and i had a nice teacher that and then a really really nice teacher when i was 12 and mr harding ronald harding stepgates junior school said um you're very, very good in these school shows and um, you're getting a lot of impact on all the other children and I think you should go to a stage school, a special school. I thought, what does he mean? And he um, helped me get a scholarship to the Italia Conti Stage School, which was back then, it was just a lovely thing for me to be able to do, go to London every day and learn to sing, dance and act and met some fabulous friends and had a laugh. I was very naughty at school, but it was a lovely, lovely thing that he did for me. And you, it's true that you meet a couple of teachers in your life that really help you. And then when I was doing the Tracy Ullman show, cut to, in the Fox show in the uh, 80s, he was traveling around California with a group of educators and he came to see my show and said, Ronald Harding is here, I'm your headmaster. And I went, oh my goodness, Mr. Harding. And I brought him onto the stage after the show when I used to say goodnight to everybody in my bathrobe. And on camera, and you know, this wonderful man in polished brogues and a Harris Tweed suit, Mr. Harding, who I was sort of terrified of at school. And I got to thank him on television in America and say, thank you, Mr. Harding, for just spotting that all those years ago. And he was so shy and so English. He went, oh, oh, oh dear, you know, like this. And, you know, he was so couldn't believe I was hugging him and thanking him. And uh, just really appreciated it. 
And it was lovely that I got to come full circle and say thank you to Mr. Harding. Did you feel like an outsider at school? Yeah, yeah, I thought I was very awkward. And, and I felt the whole stage school thing was just ridiculous. Some of the kids there were like... Well, I've been in a Barbie commercial and a Mitch's commercial and I'm going to be a star. And I thought, what do you mean? You know, and I, there was me, awkward little girl that looked like a troll in black tights. You know, I thought, is that what being a star is or just, you know, being blonde? Or But then I started doing voices and doing improvisations and writing sketches at school. And then I realized the power I had in, you know, in words and in comedy. And I thought, ah, oh, they can't do that. And I'd get sent along to stupid auditions with loads of the little girls that had been in the British commercials. And they'd line us up on the stage for a West End musical. And they'd say things like, you step forward and you step forward. And I remember once I thought someone pointed to me and I stepped forward and he went, no, no, not you, dear, the little blonde girl next to you. And I thought, oh, this is painful. It's crazy how we remember those things. Yeah, and I thought, lives. you bastard. Let it I thought, go. That's horrible. Let it go. I know. <laughs> Look, where is she now? Exactly. Where is she now? Her you know? name is Kim Bassinger. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that wouldn't work. I could, I no, could have worked as no, a joke if, I, okay. if I'd thought of someone who is still super successful. Who paid for your scholarship? I guess the county council. Thank the you. Labour county, county, county council. Right. Thank you, Labour county council, for paying for my scholarships. I wonder if they'd do that now. No, I don't know. And I think... Um, well, there's the Brit school now. There's, I mean, there's many schools that really help talented kids and potentially talented kids you know there's there's things like that now although there's academies and Paul McCartney's got some places in Liverpool it's, it's, yeah LIPA yeah. Liverpool Institute of Performing yep. Arts there was a point mm. where your mum remarried I think you had a difficult time with the stepfather Any yeah it didn't go great well that's that's a, you know it's, it's hard it's hard to integrate families and so uh, yeah it wasn't great but um, you know she tried it was up to her she wanted to he was a difficult man I you don't, you know, which was a difficult marriage. I don't really know. I mean, it was just, I just, just, I was off up to Clapham in my tap shoes by that point, living with my auntie Brenda. Really? Who was fantastic. Well, used to out. put me on tables in a pub and make me sing. You know, I was looking for a laugh, Louis. I was looking to get out. I thought, there's something great out there. And when I was 16, I went to Berlin. So I got out. When you were 16? I always knew there was something going on that was going to be better out there and more fun and lighthearted. And then I met Alan McEwen when I was 21 and my life really began. You don't like staying in the dark places. Well, why would I do that in public? <laughs> it's all fair. No, I, I mean, you, you've had fun from that. And you know, I had my moments. My mum had these half-brothers who had these hilarious friends called Butch Castle and David James who we used to go to Benidorm with on holidays. And we, I used to laugh so much. I used to wet myself every day. I mean, I love laughing. I love guys Were they the ones who said she looks like a troll? Yeah, they, they were just so mean to me. Exactly. <laughs> they said, look at her. She's like a troll. And my sister Patty is really, really pretty, beautiful girl. And they go, Patty's gorgeous, isn't she? Trace looks like a troll. <laughs> and then when they saw me again when I was older and quite successful, they went, you've done all right. And you still look like a fucking troll. You know? It didn't feel hurtful at all. No, I love it. It makes me laugh. That's bants, isn't it? You can get in trouble for bants nowadays. They would never call it bants. No. No. They call it reality. Gosh, I'm getting so old. Stop it. Well, older. Like 63 now in new in new money is yeah. like it's like decimal. 63 in new pence is like 45 yeah, in I'm old money. Fit. I, I get into cold water every What's morning. You look great, I don't by the eat way. after six. You look amazing. Do I? Yeah. I That's wouldn't say nice. you're a gilf because that'd be like weird. No, it's like 
calm down. I can't get away with that. No. What's your regimen? Um, I've never eaten a processed food in my life. My mother never allowed me sugar. I've never done drugs. Ever. I've never even seen cocaine. Smoked and a spliff? Ne- yeah, I've done that. But I've never even seen cocaine. It was so weird. I'm, I've lived in Hollywood and I've been in music business. I just like vegging paracetamol with a splash of codeine. That's the naughtiest thing I do. Seriously? Yeah. What are you doing for fun at the moment? Um, I love all new music. What music I do you like? I keep up on things. I, I went to see Marina Abramovich in the Callus musical opera the other night. Uh, so I do. I get out and about a bit. I've got some really good friends. What would inhibit you from finding a fella? I don't know. I don't know. I've had a fellow. I had the best bloke. I had the best bloke. It's really hard to find anyone like Alan McEwen. He was hilarious, Louis. You have no idea. My husband was the best bloke. He was a grown-up. A lot of you blokes, you're not grown-ups. You know, and most blokes, they're just so neurotic and they're not as great as women. But he was great because... He, he was just for me. He was just, I'm, I'm not, you know... I'm not a coquette. I can't charm people and stuff. It was just great for me. You meet that person in your life. You know, I've had my moment. I am elevated by solitude. I cannot tell you how much I like being on my own. It's like terrible. I just really enjoy it. Thank God. I mean, you know, I've been a widow for 10 years now, Louis. I mean, it's like, imagine me going on a dating service. The only people that put my age women in their uh, profiles would be 117. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> You guys, you always go younger, so... You're not out there dating? No, please. What? No, I don't think Why so. Why not? What? You're what am I going like... to go? What, you're going to go to a nightclub and meet someone in elasticated waist jeans? It's a whole new if world If I can out find there. someone like Thierry Henry... You're only 10 years older fine. than me and I'm a young man. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> you're funny. If it happened again, I'd be lovely. I'm just not, you know... It has to be a Let's fo- see. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't has that to be, be a footballer? I like football. I like musicians. Um, so anyone that plays a lead guitar, I'm oh, seriously. God. Yeah. Um, well, what can you do? <laughs> Birds like musicians. I like funny blokes. Really? Yeah. I want someone that gets up every then takes charge and goes, "This is going to be great." Positive. Yeah. I've grown up. So he's grown up. Yeah. Takes charge. Plays lead guitar. And <laughs> plays football to a very really high standard. Funny. And funny. Yeah. Funny. Fit. And a big what guitar? Yeah. No, it was fun. No, it was funny. No, it sort of worked, and no, I I really. went with it because <laughs> we knew we were both thinking Willie, and we didn't say it. Hi, me again, Louis Theroux. Just to remind you, you're listening to the Louis Theroux podcast. And now, back to my conversation with Tracy Ullman. Okay, we get, I'm feeling a leaving ending energy. But before we do yeah. that, wh- why did you come back to, um, to London? And when did that happen? That, that happened, what? Sort of when Alan died. Ten years ago? Yeah, Alan died ten years ago. Cancer? Um, prostate yeah, cancer? Yeah, prostate cancer. He'd had it for years and years and years. Really? It was, uh, yeah, and he, his treatment was in Los Angeles. And I didn't want to be a widow in L.A., live up a hillside. Why? 
it's easier to cut. It was much more fun to be in England and move around and talk to people on the street. You're and, more in the swim oh, of the yeah, activity. You have to, like, yeah. And I love LA and it was all that. But I, I just, um, no, it was time to be near my daughter, loves living here. And she had, then she had a baby and I'm and near the, the grandsons. It's great to, yeah, you can't beat it. So I'm just walking around, you know, London was just fantastic, you know. And then people suddenly say to me on the tube, you chase you on. I go, what would she be doing on the district line at 2.30 in the afternoon with a Sainsbury's bag? Of course not. Do you say that? Just to get them off your back Do sometimes. You? I've, I've been guilty <laughs> of saying, I wish. Aren't you a bloke <laughs> off the... You go, I had it yesterday. Aren't you a bloke off the telly? I said, oh, I wish. Yeah, doing that, yeah. Two words and the, and the conversation's <laughs> <That's good>. over. <laughs> yeah, but no one says it. No one recognises me, or if they do, they're always very kind to me. and just like, oh, yeah, you're mad like my sister. Oh, thank you. Really? Um... So, no, it was... You bump into I, people in London. You don't really bump no, into people in LA No, it was a different much. time and, yeah. I go back and I, I work on Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David cool. where I used to... That's the area I used to live in and I love doing that show. Oh, my God, it's been such fun to go and do that for a couple of years. Is he fun to work with? Oh, he's a good bloke. He's secretly a really nice man. You know, yeah, I believe a, it. He's great. I've really loved working with him and Susie Essman and Richard Lewis. And so that's been great fun. And that's what I, the way I would like to work. I'd love to do something, a show like that. Just, I don't know, maybe in London or New York, but just where you just make everything up. And you TV. You say all the things that you want something to say. TV. I've got, I love TV. I'm a TV person. I mean, I've never made a successful film, really. You don't need to see me bigger than a television size. Big I screen. <laughs> You've been in a, I have to a very self- critically... Highly regarded Woody Allen film. Was that? Yeah, that was, yeah, I did a couple of films of Woody. Did, did Small Time Crooks Small Time and Crooks. I did the Bullets Over Broadway. You played Woody's, Love working Woody. It was You played wonderful. his wife. Yeah, yeah. You have never felt an obligation to speak out on the Woody subject. Not my business. None just of my business. Away from it. What do I know? I've, I knew like him in a professional where... capacity and I had the most wonderful time and all that family stuff and everything. I, I'm not sure what's going on, but it's not for me to comment. There seemed like a time when the actors who worked with him we're kind of queuing up to say, I wish I'd never made a film with him. No, well, really? Well, that's what they want to do. It's not what I want to do. All right. And then, and then, um, on you also worked on. What are you laughing on, for? Well, because I was, I'm trying to figure out how. Yeah, you're trying to end the, this. You also big. With how can the, we end this big? Also, I think we sing or something. You also started in one of the biggest. Why don't movie, we sing? They don't know. We. You also started. Get the lyrics on your little you computer there. You tip, tip, tapping away. You. You also started one of the biggest movie flops of all time. What was that one? I'll do anything. Tons of those. I'll do anything. Oh, yeah. I didn't star in it. I had a bit in it. James L. They took all the songs out. It was a musical. (laughs) I got to meet Prince, though. He wrote the music for it. Yeah, he gave him all these songs and none of the songs worked. I don't know. It was like, but people in it Set it up for us. Set it up for the audience. They... Coming off the back of two huge hits, James L. Brooks, he'd made Terms of Endearment and and the equally brilliant Broadcast News. Mm. He wants to do a musical because he used to love all the songs we did he on the I'll Tracy do a musical. It's yep. about life in Hollywood for a jobbing actor, the heroism, yeah. the, the daily struggle of a jobbing And you get Nick actor. Nolte to star, who was hilarious. And he's a wonderful guy, but he can't sing. Right. He had this song called Be My Mirror, Be Like Me. And then Nick's going, Be My Mirror, Be Like Me. <laughs> um, but, you know, what are you going to do? You're well-intentioned. Polly Platt was our producer. We, you know, Jane, Jim's 
gives it everything. Wow, man, we're going to do this, man. And then things don't work. Well, you know, you just, you know, I don't know. They had a viewing. They Some people screaming. want to put the songs back in. I had a good song. I'd like to hear it with the songs in. I went yeah. to see it when it came out. I lived Did in New you? York at the time. And I, I was a James L. Brooks fan. And uh, I thought the movie was pretty good. Nick Nolte's a terrific actor. <laughs> oh, Nick is fabulous. And, um, and then I was reading up on this, and it was said that they had a screening, and it, it was so bad. Mm. It was that the, the people were... First, they were enjoying it. Then they were not enjoying it. Then they were laughing at how bad it was. And then they were leaving the testing theater on the lot over there in L.A. And then James L. Brooks said it was the worst experience of his entire life. And I think it would have been crushing. But a strange decision to take all that. How bad could it have been with the songs? I know. I never saw them. I mean, I just, I saw... Did it feel all right when you were me? I saw... (laughs) (laughs) Julie had a song and and I got to meet Prince, you know, that was cool. What was he like? He was cool. I mean, Hi. just very quiet, yeah. And, you know, he, he knew my song, They Don't Know, and just that he knew I Did was. Did he? It's just an amazing Come thing. Come on. It's a good song. It was a top ten hit in America. People wouldn't remember this. Yeah, sorry, I sounded surprised. That, was, that was rude. Yeah, of course he knew yeah. that song. It was a big hit. Um, and actually, sort of, he likes that kind of bubblegum girl group. Maybe I'm not doing it justice, but there's... No, it's, he, it's, knew, he knew a good He wrote song. Manic Monday, right? Yeah, he did. For, for the, the Bangles, was yeah, it? Yeah, the Bangles, yeah. And it's very... He, you know, he was an R&B yep. and soul legend, he but also cool. a, a creator of sugary pop of the I highest I got to order. see him in a small club in East Berlin when I did the MTV Awards in the 90s, and I was with... Michael Hutchins, Jean-Paul Gaultier, and George Michael. I was with them in a limo, and we went to this weird little club in East Berlin. It just the wall had just come down. We did, and they made me jump over a fence to get in because even that group couldn't get in. And we got into this club when there was like literally forty-seven people, and we watched Prince and Mighty, his girlfriend at the time, and, and later my, wife, later wife, perform, and it was just amazing. I just thought, wow, I'm so so lucky to be here. What a cool moment! God. What a cool moment! That's incredible. God, it was good. I think that's where we're going to leave Tracy Yeah, Ullman. I've had some laughs. Watching, I've had some moments. Um, Prince with a veritable constellation of incredible talents. Nice to have all those amazing memories. I know. And no I was longer, in that group that night. I know. It was no like, wonder that you... I'm a girl from Hackbridge. I used to live next to a fish and chip shop and a sewer works. That's interesting yeah. smell combination. <laughs> They're trying to imagine. Oh that. goodness, yeah. Sort of like alternately, like <laughs> it was. It was bloody deep, awful. Deep fat frying, plus <laughs> fecal fecal overtones. It really was. Well, thank you for coming on the. Oh, podcast. I've had a nice time. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's. I really wanted to meet you. I think you're thank a good you. bloke. I think you're a BGB. You're a bloody good bloke. Oh, thank you're you. interesting, and I, you know, I don't want to talk about myself, but my my kids wanted me to talk to you, and I'm glad I have. So, I hope you enjoyed that. This is me back on my own. It was a real pleasure to speak to Tracy and also to revisit, and visit in some cases for the first time, her vast body of work. Uh, We'll link to the clips we spoke about in the show notes. Um, In particular, I'd like to shout out the TV series Mrs. America about Phyllis Schlafly, played by Kate Blanchett. It's about the conservative activist 
and the early days of feminism and Tracy. It's an ensemble, but Tracy's in it playing Betty Friedan. And yeah, it's really good. I think it's on iPlayer. What I got from Tracy was, well, she's just really funny, isn't she? And there's nothing quite like being in the room with someone who's effortlessly amusing. I really loved her impression of her grandson, Elijah, saying, I don't think you've got the expertise. Um, that made me giggle. And I see, I mean, I also like, I mean, I'm a horrible person, so I quite liked sort of bringing up quite dark things in, a, in an inappropriately lighthearted way. Should I say that? And when I said, do I see sadness in you? I think I do see some sadness in her. Well, of course, because she lost the love of her life. And Thierry Henry is out there, but perhaps not available. Um, she's a born entertainer. Cliché alert. And, you know, she was basically driving the, the conversational bus at the beginning, which I enjoy. I, I enjoy being driven for a change. And then also kind of turning the tables. You know, nothing, that's my favorite thing is having the tables turned on me. The reins being kind of fought over. It's like, is it Hunt for Red October where there's two submarine captains and one of them says, I'm the captain. Then the other one's like, I don't know, I'm the captain. You remember that? That was a good movie. So we both were captains of the submarine, kind of fight, not fighting over the controls, but enjoyably maybe sort of roughhousing over the controls. And she brought up Jimmy Savile. And that's not funny. And the Nick Nolte impression, be my mirror, be my gal. Um, Nick Nolte is probably listening. And so Nick, I think you'll appreciate it was done with love and um, perhaps, you know, accuracy. I don't know. Will the world ever get to hear Nick Nolte singing Be My Mirror? I don't know. <sighs> Strange. For Prince Aficionados, those songs are, I think I said it in the chat, did I? They're on YouTube. You can listen to them. We mentioned the Steve Coogan drama BBC's The Reckoning, in which Coogan plays Jimmy Savile. I've watched three episodes of that, as I record, and um, Steve's amazing in it. And actually, you know, if you have a, the stomach for that kind of thing, it's done with extraordinary, I would say, kind of verisimilitude, like the accuracy, that the work they've put into his flipping penthouse flat in Roundhay, where I went a number of times while filming and afterwards. Um, for more on that, read my book, Gotta Get Through This, five chapters about Jimmy Savile. But it was extraordinary. Like some person had studied pictures and film of the flat and reproduced it. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the comment, you'd be so easy to animate. That made me laugh when I listened to it back. What does that mean? It's such a baffling remark. It feels, it's like a compliment that you could take as an insult. I'm, I'm going to assume... Not an insult. Tracy would never insult me. I like her too much. What I'm trying to say is I wouldn't take it as an insult. I think it was meant nicely. And, you know, who wants to be difficult to animate? That's not something to aspire to. Maybe it means I'm expressive. I wish I could be animated on The Simpsons. I could die happy. That would be the last thing. I don't need Oscars and Grammys and Olivier's, but to be on The Simpsons. I've got a friend who writes for The Simpsons. So, Tim, if you're listening... Um, consider this me inviting myself onto the show. I'm ready. I think that might be it. Oh, yes. Credits. Produced 
by Millie Chu. The assistant producer was Marn Al-Yazari. The production manager was Francesca Bassett. And the executive producer was Aaron Fellows. The music in the series was by Miguel de Oliveira. This is a Mindhouse production for Spotify. Spotify.